morning. Welcome to uh, the International Protestant Church of Zurich. It's wonderful to have you all here. My name is Sam Jerfe. I'm the associate pastor here and Doug Brower, our lead pastor, will be leading us uh, the scripture this morning. Uh, I would like to extend a special welcome to any of you who may be visiting with us this morning. Uh, If you are here for the first time or for the first time in a long time, uh, we would love to be able to just hear your name and where you're from in a moment. Uh, But I have some uh, other announcements I want to mention. One, um, some people have asked and we wanted to make it clear, there's no children's Christmas pageant this year. However, on December 10th, on December 10th, um, we will be having a special children's program in the Canton Shula focusing on Advent. Uh, And the theme will be Light of the World. And so um, if anyone would like to help, uh, we are still looking for volunteers as well. Um, But for those of you with children in Sunday school age, there will be no children's pageant or choir, but we will have a special program in the Kanchanchula for them on December 10th. And that's the same day we'll have cookies and carols after the service. Also, great news. Uh, Many of you donated and gave to the Harvest Festival, and uh, we wanted to share with you that the proceeds for the Harvest Festival to go to the Hillcock Bible Church in Lesotho were over 4,600 francs this year. So thank you all very much, uh, those of you who donated, those of you who gave time and baked. Yes, praise God. Um, And I would also like to point out as well that if anyone has um, questions about the organizations or people we give to and the the things we support to contact the church office or look on the website Um, we have a great group of people who work with what we call outreach and missions and they love to share about their projects and the things they're passionate about so please look into it more if you're more curious about how to give and help special projects here in Zurich or around the world Um, and so with that being said if you are here for the first time and you are visiting um, we have uh, usher who will come around with a microphone and we would love to just hear your name where you're from so that we might be able to greet you uh, after the service as well so if that's you please feel free to stand up now so that we might uh, be able to welcome you wonderful thanks our usher is going to make his way up now Good morning, everyone. I would like to introduce Anne Absalom, who was our fantastic guest speaker yesterday at the Women's Retreat. She did such a, an incredible contribution, and we all grew as Christians, and we will still be growing every day, thanks to her. Thank you very much, Anne. Thank you, and thank you to all who helped at the retreat. Thanks, Joe. Good morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Rivik Wahyuni. Uh, I come from Jakarta, so um, this is my first week in Zurich, and I'll be here for about three months. So I found this church uh, last night from the website. Great. It's wonderful to have you. Welcome. Good morning. Uh, My name is Tommy, my wife Genevieve. We're here from Manila, visiting our daughter, Caroline, uh, who works in Zurich. Welcome. It's great to have you. Good morning. I'm Jackie Earl from Zurich. I live here, and I'm just visiting. Wonderful to have you, Jackie. Welcome.
Hello, everybody. My name is Bianca. I'm Brazilian and Swiss, and I live in Lausanne. My mom, she lives here in Zurich, so whenever I'm here for the weekend, I'll be here with you guys. Welcome. It's great to have you as well. Okay, if that's everyone. I would like to also mention briefly, as Joan had said, we did have the women's retreat yesterday, uh, and we heard great things from that, as well as thank you those of you who are on the prayer chain and who were praying. Uh, we had a funeral uh, yesterday for a young man who doesn't go to our church, but many of our church body uh, were praying for him, and I heard it was a wonderful God-honoring uh, funeral yesterday for Storm. So for those of you who were praying, thank you so much. Um, with that, I would like to now invite uh, Rajan Nainar, our uh, worship elder, to uh, bring us joys and concerns. Please make sure your cell phones are turned off. Uh, the prayer team will be available near the piano after the service to pray with you if you have a need. Let's prepare our hearts and minds for the worship. Join me in the call to worship from Revelation 1 as printed on your church bulletin. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Let us worship God. If you're able, I invite you to stand and sing hymn 142. All hail the power of Jesus' name.
Please remain standing as we pray our prayer of confession together, first in unison and then followed by a time of silent prayer. Please pray with me. God of grace, we confess that we have elevated the things of this world above you. We have made idols of possessions and people and used your name for causes that are not consistent with you and your purposes. We have permitted our schedules to come first and have not taken the time to worship you. We have not always honored those who guided us in life. We have participated in systems that take life instead of give it. We have been unfaithful in our covenant relationships. We have yearned for and sometimes taken that which is not ours. And we have misrepresented others' intentions. Forgive us, O God, for the many ways we fall short of your glory. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, while it is true that we have sinned, it is a greater truth that we are forgiven through God's love in Jesus Christ. To all who humbly seek the mercy of God, I say, in Jesus Christ, your sin is forgiven. Please be seated. If there are any children who did not start out in Sunday school who joined us for the beginning of worship, I invite you to uh, leave now for your Sunday school classes.
Today's Old Testament reading is from Nehemiah chapter 8, uh, found on page 491 in your church Bibles. When the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people came together as one in the square before the water gate. They told Ezra, the teacher of the law, to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded for Israel. So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon as he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law. Ezra opened the book. All the people could see him because he was standing above them. And as he opened it, the people all stood up. Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. They read from the book of the law of God, making it clear and giving the meaning so that the people understood what was being read. Then Nehemiah, the governor, Ezra the priest and teacher of the law, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them, This day is holy to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, Go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. This is the word of the Lord.
Well, today our study of the book of Nehemiah comes to an end. We have been at this uh, since the beginning of September, so it has been a long journey, and for me, uh, it's been uh, quite a pleasant surprise. Uh, this Old Testament person with such a strange-sounding name, we haven't yet agreed among ourselves how to pronounce it in English, uh, but this Old Testament person, uh, as it turns out, has quite a great deal to teach us uh, about what it means to be a faithful follower of God. Uh, Sam is going to be preaching next week, and, and because next Sunday is known on the liturgical calendar as Christ the King, this is the last Sunday before Advent begins in a, a brand new year, uh, Sam is going to reflect on Christ and how a, a person like Nehemiah uh, prepares us to meet him and uh, shows us what to anticipate. Right? Uh, but today the story from Nehemiah chapter 8 uh, as you heard, is about a, a kind of celebration, although the word celebration doesn't even begin uh, to capture what happens here. The, the wall around Jerusalem is complete. It only took 52 days, uh, which is a story in itself. The people have uh, overcome so many challenges and obstacles, uh, which, have, which would have stopped many other construction uh, projects. And now the people do something to mark the occasion. So what I want to do this morning is talk uh, with you about what they do and, and why it's so significant, right, and, and what we can learn from, uh, from them. And before we do that, I want to invite you to read uh, together with me uh, the story from the New Testament. Uh, I think this story from Luke's Gospel uh, about Jesus in his hometown synagogue, I think this story helps us to understand a, a bit better what happened in Jerusalem way back in the 5th century B.C., and I'm going to ask you to do something that uh, the people did back in the 5th century B.C. at the Watergate. I'm going to ask you to stand for this reading. So if you are able, I invite you to stand. The reading is from Luke chapter 4, uh, beginning with verse 14. And, and just so you know, the people uh, in the story we heard stood from daybreak until noon. Uh, I'm not going to ask you to stand quite that long. Uh, but this is a way of entering into the story and finding out what it feels like to have our hearts open right, for God's word uh, to us. So beginning with verse 14. Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began by saying to them, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And, and please be seated.
Dear friends of Jesus Christ, uh, as I hope you've noticed throughout this fall, I have been energized and excited by this story of Nehemiah, of all people. Uh, Several times I have felt as though I found something brand new in Scripture, uh, like a a buried treasure, except, of course, that Nehemiah has been here all the time and and not buried at all uh, and not exactly hiding from any of us. Uh, And today, rather than feeling let down uh, because the story is coming to an end, I think we have a story before us that in many ways is better and more interesting uh, than uh, the others we've looked at so far. There's just so much here, and I hope that we have time today to do this story uh, justice. So let's get started. As you heard me say, the wall around Jerusalem has now been built. It took only 52 days uh, for construction, remarkable and miraculous uh, in itself. Uh, Nehemiah's inner call was to leave Persia and uh, to go to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding this wall, which had been in ruin for uh, something like 70 years. Uh, But at some point, Nehemiah must have realized that the uh, wall itself was not very important. Uh, God, as always, had a much bigger vision in mind. Uh, Yes, I suppose that rebuilding the wall, like rebuilding the temple, which also occurred at about the same time, uh, was important at some level, but, but God, as I hope you know, is always thinking and, and planning far into the future. Uh, our perspective, I think you'll agree with me about this, is always so limited. All right? uh, too often, we only see what is right in front of us, and we mistake that part for the whole. Right? But, but God's perspective includes all of history. Uh, And what needed to be restored uh, was not just a wall, but a people. Uh, A people who thought of themselves as a people. A people who thought of themselves as God's people. Uh, Chosen and and set apart and and gifted with a special mission and purpose. And it was from this people that God would call forth a savior for the world. So here they are, and and, uh, Nehemiah recognizes that uh, something significant has been accomplished. Uh, He doesn't know the whole story. No human being ever does. Uh, But he senses that a a significant milestone has been reached, and he decides that the occasion should be marked with a, a gathering of some kind. And as I said earlier, this gathering may have started as a celebration, but it soon became so much more than that. By the end of the story, I hope you heard this, people were weeping. And not only that, but they started a process of confession. And if you read the next chapter in Nehemiah, a process of national repentance. They were making promises together about how they were going to live from this point forward. So... (laughs) What may have started as a celebration became so much more. So here's the first thing I would like you to see today. I have three insights about this story that I want to share with you. And this is the first one. These moments of celebration and achievement and promise making are far more important than we sometimes realize. We should be having more of them than we usually do. We, and I mean uh, church people like you and me, we are uniquely equipped 
for gatherings like this. We, we know how to plan these. We have them every single Sunday. Uh, whenever a baby is born, whenever a couple decides to be married, whenever a loved one dies, uh, whenever a 15-year-old decides to confirm the faith that uh, his or her parents passed along to, to him, there's always, usually, uh, a sense that the community of faith should come together and that there should be a celebration. We should sing. We should pray, we should tell stories, we should remember who we are, and, uh, this is very important, we should remember who God is. And, and if you're looking for a definition of worship, that's a pretty good place to start. Uh, I think, tell me if you uh, disagree uh, with this, I think there is something in human nature that, that wants to come together and, and offer worship. In, in fact, when, when it doesn't happen, when we fail to commemorate these, these very important moments in our lives, we, we feel as though something is missing. We, we feel as though we missed a great opportunity. So we, we, we put on good clothes, and, and I know the definition of good clothes has changed over the years, uh, uh, but uh, we, we, we wear something nice, and... Uh, and uh, <laughs> And we make sure that there's food available afterward, as there was in the story for today. And then we come together in one place to mark the occasion. Right? I wonder why this doesn't happen more often than it, than it does. A long time ago, in the first church I served as a, a lead pastor, a family, a family from Laos uh, had immigrated to the United States. This was after the American War in, in, in Southeast Asia, and, and they were being uh, sponsored by the church that I was serving at the time. And so church members taught them English, and, and uh, we taught them how to handle American money, and, and uh, we helped them navigate their way through American culture. Not an easy thing. And, and then at some point, this was wonderful, it, it, it seemed to me as though they began to teach us. Uh, like all immigrant families everywhere, they started poor, with barely enough to survive, uh, but at some point they pooled enough money as an extended family to buy a car. Uh, because in the U.S., survival depends on having air to breathe and a car to drive. I mean, these are the basic building blocks of, of life. And, and so their idea was to have a, a blessing of the Toyota. And they called me one day to find out if I would come and, and, and bless their Toyota which I agreed to do, although I have to tell you that I had never blessed a car at, at that uh, point in my life. I have cursed a car uh, when it didn't start on a cold morning because, I, you know, when I had to be somewhere. Uh, uh, but I learned nothing at all about car blessings uh, at, at seminary. Uh, anyway, the day came and there was food and excitement and, and uh, there were people everywhere and they were all dressed up. And uh, there was the car. In, in the driveway, uh, recently cleaned and polished, and, and uh, no one seemed to care uh, that the car had a little rust uh, here and there and was not exactly brand new. Uh, and as I approached the, the car to lay my hands on it, uh, all of these uh, Laotian people, dozens and dozens of them, were looking at me. And looking back, I, I now realize that that moment was as holy as any moment of worship that I have ever been a part of. We sang and we prayed 
I read scripture, although it's hard to find anything about Toyotas in the Bible. And then I offered a thanksgiving to God for his marvelous provision for us. And when I was finished, everyone there that day said, Amen. And then they started a kind of chant, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. So tell me something. Why don't we have more of these gatherings in our lives? Right? Why do we keep these celebrations to the, the, the birth of a child and the death of a loved one? And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I, I need more frequent reminders about who I am and who God is and, and how God has blessed me and how God has called me to be his own. I mean, that's what the people of Israel did that day in front of the water gate. And then here's the second thing I, I, I want you to see uh, in, in this story. Nehemiah stepped back. I, I don't know if you saw that or not, but it happened so uh, subtly in the story. Uh, I, mean, I think it's remarkable. Nehemiah stepped back. The, the hero of the story... The one who prayed every single day along the way, the one who made the, uh, the one who was made the governor of the people of, uh, of Jerusalem, even though no one knew him two months before this, Nehemiah, at his greatest moment of triumph, stepped back. I, I, instead of standing in, in front to t- uh, take a bow, you know, and he had Ezra the priest come forward to, to read the law of God. Which I should point out uh, was not the Ten Commandments. Ezra began to read uh, from the writings of Moses. It was their history. Words most of them had, had never heard before, at least not in quite this way. And Nehemiah, I can't get over this, Nehemiah refused to make this celebration about him. Right? From start to finish, this gathering was about God. And, and, and what God was doing among them, that, that's what I have meant uh, week after week when I have said to you that, that Nehemiah was a type of Christ. His ego is almost entirely absent from this story. Right? God did not send Nehemiah so that Nehemiah could be celebrated. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I mean, he must have been an extraordinarily gifted man. There's just no question in my mind, but... But he had this exceedingly rare trait, almost absent among leaders today, right? He did not need to be thanked or praised or recognized, right? He did not insist that they name the wall in his honor. This was not the the Nehemiah memorial wall, right? Instead, at this important moment, he took a step back. And the word of God, the writings of Moses, what we now call the Torah, right? The word of God took the full attention of the people. The story tells us that the law was read, I said this to you a few minutes ago, from daybreak until noon. And when you heard that, you might have thought, well, that's a long time to hear scripture read. Right? And of course, you would be right. In some traditions today, in fact, most Christian people around the world stand when the gospel is read. 
We sit, <laughs> and we try to find a comfortable spot, right? And, and, and we can't wait for the reading to be over, so we get on to the, I don't know what, the, the sermon, I guess. But there were times in history when the reading of Scripture was the central act of worship. I mean, this was the time, uh, uh, of course, in the 5th century B.C., when in front of the Watergate, uh, uh, when, when people were engaged. But I, I want to tell you about another time. Uh, Emperor Constantine, uh, as most of us know, uh, was converted to Christianity and uh, famously declared that Christianity was legal uh, in the, the Roman Empire. Well, Emperor Constantine was led to faith or deeply in- influenced in his coming to faith by his mother, Helena. And uh, Helena, I don't know how much, how much of this story you know, uh, Helena spent a great deal of time in Israel. It was Helena, for example, who identified most of the holy sites. She would say, well, Jesus was buried there. There's his tomb. And so you know, a church would be built over these, uh, over these sites. Well, Helena also kept a travel diary of her visit to Israel and uh, a great deal of what we know about worship in the early church. We know because of the notes which Helena took. And one of the most striking passages from the diary has to do with a reading of Scripture. Helena reports that on Sundays in Jerusalem, there were gatherings of, of believers. And uh, when Scripture was read, uh, usually one of the Gospels, the, the people came alive. <laughs> As she writes, they shouted and they cried and they laughed and they wept. And they were fully present to the Word as it was read. Right? It, it, if it, you've been to children's theater, I, th- I think you know how this goes. Uh, uh, children call out to the actors on stage. They're, they're fully engaged in what's happening. They, they think it's real. They make no distinction between reality and what is imaginary. Uh, anyway, by comparison, I've, I've thought about how we respond you know, to the reading of, of Scripture. And I, I wonder how it has lost its place of prominence. In a week or so, you're going to be invited to participate in a survey about worship. And, and one of the questions has to do with which part of the, the service is most meaningful to you. Don't worry, you'll get instructions about how to do this. Anyway, the question is, well, is it the music? Is it the, the sermon? Is it something else? I wonder, you know, how many of us, in all honesty, are going to say that, well, the public reading of Scripture... The public reading of God's holy word is the most important part of the service to me. And now I think I've just skewed that survey. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Reread Nehemiah chapter 8 sometime and reflect on the response of the people which we find described there. Was it because Ezra was such a skilled reader? Well, maybe he was. Maybe he was like a Shakespearean actor, I don't know. Right? But we have many skilled readers in this church if you want to know the truth. So here's the question I want to ask you. What was it about the reading of those words that stirred the hearts of the people? And that, of course, brings me to the third and and, and final thing I want to say to you about this story. Namely, that something happened. Something happened on that day that had not been planned. 
And, and, and that could not have been planned. The reading was planned, of course. They knew ahead of time that it was going to happen. And, and the food afterward was planned. Right? But something happened during the course of that day by the water gate that was not planned. Uh, I want to propose to you that what happened, and, and please hear me out. Uh, some of you are going to accept this immediately, but not everyone. Uh, I want to propose to you that what happens when we read and interpret Scripture, is a life-changing encounter with a reality far beyond ourselves. Before I go any further, I, uh, I, I want to remember with you the Gospel story, which I read earlier uh, from Luke chapter 4. Uh, Jesus at this point is an itinerant preacher in the Galilee region, and uh, he has come to his hometown synagogue to speak. Uh, so he's both celebrity at this point and favorite son, uh, someone they really wanted to hear uh, because they had been reading about him in the newspapers. And, 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 and you can imagine that they wanted him to do well. Uh, we have that same feeling with one of, when one of our youth gives a testimony in, in worship. And during Jesus' sermon, people whispered to each other and, and they said, uh, isn't this Joseph's son? You know, as if to say, who would have thought that the son of a carpenter would turn out to be such a splendid speaker? He's got a gift. And if Jesus had only stopped there, <laughs> you know, if, if Jesus had read from Isaiah and not gone further, everyone would have, I mean, they would have clapped their hands and they would have gone home feeling so proud that day of this young man. They must have remembered teaching him in Sunday school. What a good job he did. But that's not what happened, is it? Later in chapter 4, we read that the people that day became furious. They, 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 they were so angry that they wanted to kill him. They were going to throw him off a cliff at the edge of town. Look, I, I, I don't fully understand how this happens. Uh, just as I don't fully uh, understand how Christ becomes present to us when we receive the elements of communion. But I do know that something happens. Something mysterious, uh, something uh, miraculous. When we hear God's word read and proclaimed. Among other things, we feel convicted. We realize when we hear the words that the words weren't just written centuries ago, but they were written to us. They were written so that we could understand. And then when we feel convicted, when we realize that the Scripture is speaking to us, we respond, but not always with glad and generous hearts. Remember the sermon which Peter preached on the day of Pentecost when 3,000 people were baptized? When the story says that when Peter finished preaching that sermon... Everyone felt convicted. It was as though their hearts had been pierced. That's how the, the, the book of Acts puts it. And, and they said, brothers, what should we do? And of course, the answer was, well, repent and be baptized, every one of you. When we are caught up in that moment, there is this inescapable feeling that we must do something. We can't keep quiet about what we have heard. We can't pretend that the words were never spoken or that it didn't mean very much. Something happens to us. God's word, when it is read and proclaimed, 
those two things together, and when the Spirit of God is present working in your heart and mind, God's Word has the power to change hearts. To take a life like yours and mine, a, a, a life that has become sad and, and, and lifeless and, and without hope, and to transform it into something new, something reborn, something extraordinary. You know, we should come here every Sunday wondering when it will happen. When a heart is going to be changed. When someone's going to say, I need to be baptized. When someone will say, as the demons in Mark's gospel say, when Jesus walks by, get away from us. There's a power here that we cannot ignore. We should come on Sunday mornings with the expectation that life as we know it will never be the same again. Will you pray with me? Let us pray. Holy God, speak to us today, we pray, as you spoke to your people of old. Stir our hearts to respond to you. Convict us Create in us the feeling that we should repent and that we need to start over and that our lives need to be reborn in you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Our hymn is number 148, and and please note that we're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4. Number 148.
God's wisdom turns the wisdom of the world upside down. God calls us to unexpected opportunities to grow in our gifts and in our faith. Let us gather our gifts together and offer them to God in gratitude and praise. Let's pray. Lord, let our congregation be a witness to you, immersed in scripture, constant in prayer, joyful in worship, generous in giving. Accept these gifts we offer in Jesus' name. Amen.
Let's pray. Loving God, we adore you and we offer our praises to you. You are the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. You are our rock and our redeemer. You are compassionate and merciful. All praise, honor, and glory belongs to you. Heavenly Father, now as we have gathered to pray, let your ears be attentive to our prayer. We pray for the church throughout the world, remembering those Christians in countries where their beliefs make them vulnerable and in danger. We ask you to look closely after the believers suffering in your name. We pray that you will strengthen them, comfort them, and protect them from physical and spiritual attacks, and that they may continue to grow in their faith. We thank you for all new believers who have accepted you as their Lord and Savior, often risking their lives and loss of family, jobs, and property. We pray that you uphold them and strengthen them. Lord, in your mercy. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the vision, passion, drive, and faithful service of Chris and Chari Obstake for international Christian response. We ask you that you protect them from dangerous situations, spiritual attacks, and keep them in good health and overflowing with the Holy Spirit at all times. Lord, in your mercy. Creator God, we pray for peace in the world, for understanding between nations, religions, and factions, and for an end to old scores which remain unsettled. We pray for Israel and its neighbors, and that the people may live alongside one another in mutual respect and harmony. Lord, in your mercy. Forgiving God, send your healing forgiveness to all who are suffering feelings of guilt, shame, or regret. Help to mend broken relationships. Be with all who feel that through advancing years or failing health. They cannot enjoy life as it used to be. May those who are learning to live a new pattern of life feel that you are walking beside them. We especially pray for the sick and the suffering in our congregation and give you thanks for those who are on the road to recovery. Lord, in your mercy. God the Father, we thank you for IPC community, the pastors, elders, deacons, volunteers, and everyone who take part in the life of IPC. We thank you for the gifts, talents, and abilities you have given each of us, praying that a deeper understanding of those talents can be used and shared within our church and the community. Set us free from the fear that makes us inward-looking. Give us a renewed generosity with our time, our talents, and our treasure. Enable us to proclaim your word 
and be your witnesses. Give us the courage to share the gospel to those who are in need. Give us a renewed vision of what it is for us to be your church in this place at this time. Lord, in your mercy. Gracious God, help us to recognize all the wonderful things in your world for which we should be grateful and send us out into the coming week ready to show our gratitude in all that we do and say. Now let's take a moment of silence to lift up our own prayers and concerns. And now, as Jesus taught his disciples, let us pray together, saying, Our Father, Let us stand and sing hymn number 441, I Love Thy Kingdom, Lord. I don't know what to say. 
I feel as though I should say, may God go with you this week and every week, but God is already with you, and God has been with you throughout your lives. So what I'm going to say to you today is to open your hearts and minds to the God who is with you, and may that God fill you with peace. May the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all, both now and forever.